Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited to be here uh, for our Ohio University Sports Administration Series, Life After Court Street Season 2. Uh, here with Allie Engelkin of the Denver Broncos and Bob Morris of Belong Gaming, along with my co-host, Laura Waters-Brown. Uh, excited to chat about community, kind of what that looks like within the pro sports world as well as esports, uh, and dive in. So nonetheless, everybody welcome. Good morning. Morning. All right. So, Allie, we'll start with you uh, just in terms of where you got your career started after Athens uh, with the Washington Commanders now. Uh, I know that wasn't the name when you were there then, but uh, you started there, stayed in the NFL, obviously with the Broncos. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the community side looks like, how it works, foundation, um, et cetera? Yeah, I was really fortunate as a part of the program in searching for an internship um, was during the 2011 NFL lockout. So having my heart set on the NFL, you really didn't know what was going to happen, but I um, am a very stubborn person and had plan A uh, in mind the entire time. So was hired on for an unpaid internship with uh, the now Washington Commanders. It's still taking me some time to get used to a new name there and was hired on full-time immediately after that um, in the charitable foundation there. So I would say in most professional sports teams, uh, there is a community department as well as a separate 501c3 nonprofit arm of the team. Um, The structure varies as to who oversees what aspect. Um, In my role in Denver, and this was also very similar in Washington, um, I'm very fortunate that I oversee both elements of that. So I operate at a for-profit with a corporate social responsibility mind. And then I also oversee a separate nonprofit with a fundraising granting board of directors mind. Um, And so I'm able to marry both of those together and really utilize one um, to help me inform decisions and the other and vice versa to be able to have the greatest impact in the community. Bob, I know you're on the partnership side from a gaming perspective and you've had a uh, couple roles, not to mention your double bobcat as well. Yeah, so yeah, double can't, bobcat. Can't forget that. Um, just talk a little bit about what is what does community look like in the gaming world? How is it being developed? Are partnerships involved? What does that look like? Yeah, so I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, it's like thirty percent of the world population plays video games, right? So that that's massive, right? It's like two point five billion people. That's a that's a that in and of itself is a massive community because if you think about gaming, right? There's this whole culture that's around it. Um, you know, everybody, it doesn't matter if I play Halo or if I play Madden, the one common thing that we have is that we're all gamers. Um, so at Belong, we have 30 locations in the UK already, uh, 30 locations, um, you know, several around London. And in the US, we've launched five this year, we've launched five so far in the past year, and then we're gonna have 30 by the end of this year. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of gaming arenas around the country, right? You can walk into any city and you, or you go into any city and you can walk into a, a land center or a gaming space and they each have a great community. But what they don't have is they're not tied together, right? So one community in Pittsburgh isn't talking to a community in New York, right? So 
what we're doing is we're establishing these gaming arenas across the country. And in each one, there's a, there's a core community. Um, each one of our, each one of our arenas has its team, has a team name, right? So uh, in Grapevine, which is in the Dallas market, we have the Grapevine Guards. In Pearland, which is in the Houston market, we have the Pearland Archers. So there's a team uh, and a community at each location, but then they're interconnected between our global network of locations to where there's this massive community. Um, it's, it, it's community through competition as well, which is, which is really big. Because if you think about it, um, when I'm playing at home right now, I can play with my friends that are across the country and it's a great way to keep in touch or I can play with random people. But what I really miss um, is that community aspect of gaming that I had when I was growing up, right, where I was playing with my friends. I was sitting in, you know, in my basement of my mother's house in Ohio playing with 16 or 20 other people. And you, you had to come together to play because the Internet didn't really exist at that time to where you could connect online, right? So I miss that communal aspect. And that's what these gaming centers do. It allows people to kind of come into one space uh, and play with, play, play with each other in a way that they can't do when they're sitting at home. That's, that's so interesting. Now, my question um, to you about gaming is how do you define a gamer? Like, I feel like Ooh. I've heard 12 different definitions. Yeah. What is Me your definition? <laughs> To me, it's anybody that plays a game. I mean, honestly, I don't care if you're playing on your mobile, if you're playing on your phone or if you're, you know, competing or if you're playing with your friends. That's what's great about when, you know, inside of our arenas, right? We have different categories for customers, right? You know, there's people that come in that are hyper-competitive. They want to sit down with their friends. They want to play. They want to focus. Uh, we'll have people that come in that want to sit next to each other and, you know, um, hype each other up, talk trash a little bit to each other. Um, you know, it's really fun. It's, it's, there's there's a ton of different types of gamers, right? My mom's a gamer on her on Facebook or on on her mobile platform. Um, you know, I'm a gamer in the fact that you know I've competed in esports. Um, you know, I, I have friends that are professional Call of Duty players, right? They're literally getting paid to be on a professional team, franchise team. Um, so they're all gamers. Um, there's just maybe different levels of competition between them. So even so, the Candy Crushes and the Wordles are those oh, gamers. They're gamers. They're gamers. Yeah, they're definitely gamers. Yeah. Bob, I think I think with Laura mentioning Wordle and all, your thirty percent just went to like probably seventy yeah. percent. But it might be. I, I, yeah, I, I'd like to look at the statistics and see if that's what's if that's what included in that number. I almost don't think it is. To me, that's what a gamer is, right? Um, you know, it, like, here's the thing: all of my friends that are Call of Duty players, if you look at their Twitter timelines and things, they're posting Wordle every single day, right? But at the same time, they're going to practice every single day. Um, you know, they're competing on the weekends. So um, they're gaming. But yeah, I mean, I, can, I consider them all gamers. That's so interesting. I have so many more questions, but I'm going to come back yeah. to Allie. <laughs> um, Allie, I think, you know, I, th I feel like you have a really cool, unique story from, from Athens into professional. Like, I remember the first day I met Allie, she knew what she was going to do. I'm like, she's like, I, I am going into the social impact community service sector, I'm going to work at an NFL team on day one. And I was like, I'm just trying to find the bathroom. <laughs> um, so talk a little bit about, cause you know, the key audience for these, for these podcasts is current students, right? And we often get a few students that are like, I have no clue what I wanna do, but then you've got like the very select, like you that I feel like come in and like, this is what I'm gonna do. I know what I'm gonna do. And I know the, I know the skills that I need to get. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and this is what I'm gonna do there. And then, you know, somebody comes to and says, what's your plan B? And you're like, what is the plan B? This is what I'm doing. What are some things that you've kind of learned along your career journey about that approach? 
Yeah, I think um, something that's always stuck with me that I found going into grad school, coming out of the program, looking for internships, and I alluded to it earlier, but it was be stubborn and open-minded at the same time. Um, and so, and I say that, and it, I mean, intentionally juxtaposes against itself, but being stubborn, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew why. Like I knew the underlying um, choices I was making because I wanted to impact my community and I wanted to do so with the largest platform, the largest following, the biggest budget and the best brand. And so when I kind of boiled it down, I was making decisions based on the type of work I was doing, not this idea of, oh my gosh, I want to work in the NFL. That sounds so fun. But if it was, if I'm going to make the greatest impact, this is the opportunity that's going to give me that. And so that was me being stubborn. And then on the open-minded side, I was looking for a job during the lockout. Like, how am I going to achieve a goal if the teams that I want to work for aren't even playing at that point? And so being open-minded, I had to start looking elsewhere um, and being really realistic with myself that I know my skills, I trust myself, I trust my capabilities. And so I can still do those great things. I can make a difference in my community. I can leverage a brand for good. Um, and it might not be in the NFL right away. And so being stubborn and open-minded is something that I've just balanced throughout my entire career. Um, and I would say that when I, when I came to Denver, it was a personal relocation. So I left, I came to Denver with no job. I came to Denver with no prospects. Um, and I believed in myself, my capabilities, what I could do. Um, serendipitously, my position opened up and I feel very fortunate that I had that type of experience, but I came in again, stubborn and open-minded of what skills have I learned over the past six seasons in Washington that I can translate into a local brand. And at that point I was starting to look at nonprofits and colleges and other sports, but always having that goal that I was working towards at the end. And so that's the best advice I can give is be true to yourself and know what you want, but you have to be realistic that sometimes it doesn't work the way that you want it to work and you need to have a plan like a point one. So I won't call it a plan B, but like an A1 plan of like, this is the way that I'm going to just transition for a moment in order to get on track to get me back to where I want to go. Ali, when you think about the community world and, and you mentioned like making an impact and what's actually meaningful to you, because that has, that has a lot of purpose and intention, right? Like did you want to be in DC? Did you want to specifically be in Denver? Because I can't imagine you want to go do that work and then just live in a place that you don't necessarily care about or have a connection to. Yeah, I I moved to DC solely for the job. So I, I moved because that opportunity was available to me um, and stayed there for six seasons. And I moved to Denver. Like I said, it was a personal relocation. My now husband and I made that decision together that Denver was the place that we were going to move. Um, and so the decision really came down to the type of work I was doing because I truly believe that one person can make a difference anywhere. That's in Athens, that is in DC, that's in Denver, that's international. If you are making intentional choices about doing the right thing and making the world a better place for others, you can do that anywhere. You can do that online. Um, and so I think that it wasn't necessarily the city I was living in, it was more so the resources that I had and the, the ability to make decisions that would impact others. And so having that autonomy and the creativity and the flexibility um, to build a program that I truly believed in and feel excited about waking up for every single day. I got, I got one transition to Bob in that, um, you know, when I was coming out of the program, Bob Boland had said, you know, the, the, the first job you take out of grad school is not going to be your last, right? And then the one after that's certainly not going to be your last. And 
that's certainly proven true already. But, um, you know, Bob, like we were, we were offlining about weather and you were like, oh yeah, I worked at a bike shop in Denver. And like, that was one of the best places to live and best experiences. And I think it's one of those things like every single experience you take, you learn from. And, and I want to know, like, how did you go from bike shop to gaming to, I mean, you're, you're yeah. global now. I mean, what's like, <laughs> yeah, what's the thought I, it's, process there? It's, it's, it's been a crazy kind of, it's been a crazy ride. It's um, so, so I, when I got out of high school, I went to the Navy immediately. Now, with that said, there was a period of one year before I went to the military and um, there was this company that was founded called Major League Gaming, right? MLG is what it's known as in the, in the esports industry. And the founders of the company are, are, are two guys from New York one named Sundance Di Giovanni and Mike Sapso. And I started with them in 2002, 2003, just loading Xboxes from trucks and, and, and going. And this is when esports is really first starting, right? With Halo. Um, and they offered me, they offered me to, to, to stick around, right? But I wanted to join the military. So I did. So I went to the military for five years. I was on submarines, um, got out. Uh, I, I still had my passion for esports, um, but I wanted to get my college degree, used the GI Bill, went down to Athens for my undergrad. Uh, and while I was there, I joined the I somehow joined the mountain bike team. I ended up on the mountain bike team at Ohio University. Um, there's great trails there in Athens. And I fell in love with cycling. Hold on, and hold I, on. Trail, where are the trails? Didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah, there's tons of I trails. Because I'm from Arizona and I'm like, someone was like, oh yeah, you got to go hiking in the mountains here. And I'm like, there's no mountains. They're like, oh, well, yeah. those hills over there. Yeah, <laughs> but the, you know, there's a tremendous amount of trails. And there's a strong um, cycling community in, in uh, Athens. And I fell in love with cycling and I, um, I made it a goal to work at Trek Bicycle one day. And uh, the, re the way to start there is I spoke with somebody at Trek and they said, you got to start in a bike shop. So I, I graduated high school or grad graduated from OU um, worked at a small bike shop in West Virginia, um, got offered a job to move to Denver. I was working in Highlands Ranch at, at, a, at a great store um, in Highlands Ranch for Trek Bicycle. And um, within a year, I was in Wisconsin working at Trek headquarters. It just all, it was a, it was a crazy ride, but I, I was very uh, persistent and motivated to get there. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I got there and it was great. And I spent several years at Trek. Um, the problem was sometimes when you end up doing what you love, you lose the passion for it a little bit. And that's what happened with me uh, while working there. I was on the road constantly. I went from riding 40 miles, 60 miles a day and racing all the time to traveling from shop to shop, staying in hotels. And I, I lost the passion for it. I, 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 I didn't have it anymore. So, um, I, but I still had my passion for video games. And, um, you know, video games are something you can do in your spare time. It's not something you, you need to dedicate hours to. You don't need to get up and prepare for it and, and, and train for it consistently. Um, so. Activision Blizzard, um, who makes Call of Duty and Overwatch, they purchased MLG. Uh, they acquired it at the end of 2015. Uh, so in 2016, I came back. Uh, so it came full circle, and I ended up moving to Columbus, um, working for Major League Gaming. Um, I was wearing many hats there, whether it was booking venues in different parts of the world to setting up um, partner activations on site. It was a very small team, and everybody had to do a lot of work. And that's how I got back into esports. And then from there, I got an offer to move to Bellevue, Washington um, in the Seattle area to work at Pokemon. So I was working on their global events for Pokemon. Then I got an offer from the Vancouver Canucks um, to head up there. Um, they, you know, Francesco Aquilini, the owner of the Vancouver Canucks, um, he's a great visionary, he had a lot of um, thought into going into esports. So he purchased a position in the Overwatch League, in the Call of Duty League. 
Um, so I came up there to help them um, with their esports initiatives um, before um, coming back uh, to Ohio because the original founders of Major League Gaming, Sundance and Mike, um, they started a company out of New York City called Bindex with a huge focus in esports and gaming. Um, and they have two companies, or you know, two companies under that is Esports Engine, which is based here in Columbus, Ohio, um, downtown. They have the entire first floor of the Smith Brothers Hardware Building. It's growing crazily. Um, so they're probably, you know, you know, without a doubt, um, they're the best at what they do in terms of esports productions on a global scale. Um, they're working with all the major publishers. Most of the things you're going to see on Twitch or YouTube streaming for these massive events. Um, they're being run by Esports Engine right here out of Columbus, Ohio. And the Adam Apicella, um, you know, who's who's leading leading that business, um, is from Athens. He's, he's from Athens as well, so he's an, he's another OU grad. There's a lot of OU grads in the team there. Uh, and then the other side of the company is Belong Gaming Arenas, which they acquired from the UK, um, where we have 35 locations now. So, so that's a bit of a long story, but uh, but that's that's how I ended up from uh, high school back to OU and and back into esports. I just love what's behind the story right like your intention of going from place to place and we're talking about community like one quick question and then and then i'll let laura take the mic but you know how do you immerse yourself in a community when you go from place to place to place because i i've had those experiences too but it seems like you've had quite a few as well yeah well, i mean on the professional side um I never feel like I really left no matter where I went. It's the same people, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working with, whether it's, it's with partners or um, publishers, it's the same people, you know, when, no matter where I moved to um, the same people are still with the publisher. There's the same people are still working at some of the great partners that we have. Um, so, so I always have that, that network, right. It's, it's, you know, I consider my network, it's a community in and of itself. Um, and I, I, anytime I speak with a student, whether it's at OU or at any other college and they're asking how to get into esports. I, I say leverage your network as much as you possibly can because it I mean that community right there is, is probably one of the most important ways I think to be successful and get to, get to where you want to go. Um, I, I, I really think a lot of people underestimate that community in and of itself and that community has always been with me um, and I think that's a big reason why I've been successful. I have so many questions. <laughs> First, we're just not going to slide over the fact that you were riding bikes and mountain biking 40 to 60 miles per day in Athens, Ohio. Number one, we're not going to skip over that. Second, <laughs> were you riding down Court Street like the cobblestone I've bricks? I've ridden down Court Street. Um, I couldn't do it, but I had friends that could uh, they could go from one end of Court Street to the other on, a, on one wheel. So they're they're pretty they're pretty good people. Yeah, pretty good riders. <laughs> No, that sounds like a trip to Athens Hospital. <laughs> also, a place not going. Um, so, Bob, with, when you talk about kind of this this concept of esports, and we belong in like in just a new it's a new it's a new look at community uh, service, community relations, social impact, right? What does that mean in esports? Yeah, I think I think it, it's it's a little easier to explain from a belong perspective, right? I mean, if you look at the name of our company, it's belong, right? So so our doors are open to everybody, um, which a lot of times it's not in gaming, right? A lot of people don't have access to the high end PCs that we have, or the Xbox Series Xs, or the PlayStation Fives. I mean, we have a location here in Columbus now that we opened um, several months ago, and it's it's near the Polaris Mall. It's got seventy two stations. At every single station is a high end gaming PC. 
uh, a PlayStation 5, and several of them have Xbox Series Xs, right? So that's, that's a lot of expensive equipment, um, but our rates are, you know, they're, they're very affordable. I, I mean, we have a $30 month, monthly membership, right? So $30 a month, you can come in and play as much as you want, as, as long as you want, it doesn't matter. Um, so from, from an economical standpoint, uh, you can either pay $5 an hour, sit down and play on something that costs thousands of dollars, um, or you can pay a monthly membership and come in as much as you want. We have a lot, we have a ton of different tournaments and things. Um, you know, we're, 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 we try to be as inclusive as we possibly can, right? I mean, that's, that, that's the term belong, right? We, we don't want to shut anybody out. Um, when you look at the gaming community too, right? It's like, you know, with that 30% number I threw out, where 30% of the world population is gamers, right? It's, it's, you know, gamers aren't this stereotypical thing that you might have thought that they were 20 years ago, right? Somebody sitting in their parents' basement, they're playing, they're not associated, they're not, you know, being social with anybody. Um, for us, I mean, you'll see everybody from professional athletes playing with, with you know, Post Malone online, um, you know, to, to them playing with, with random people that are at home, right? You know, they're, they're just hopping into games with them. So I think gaming is one of those things that can bring a lot of different people together, because everybody's a gamer nowadays, right? So it doesn't matter what you do. You can walk into a college dorm right now and, you know, the, 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 the football, the quarterback for the football team is, is, is playing games with, with somebody that might just be there for their degree. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's really unique in the fact that gaming is one of those things that can, seems, seems to be able to bring everybody together. Um, and I think that's one of the really special things about video games and esports. That's awesome. And Allie, you know, the work that you're doing, I think, I like to say what you were you were doing the work before it was cool to do the work right like we know over the past few years it became kind of a trend if you will to get into equity and inclusion DEI, social impact community service and you've always done the work what are some trends or things that you're doing that you are seeing that actually work understanding and knowing that this next generation Gen Z is very in tune with um, corporate citizenship and, you know, walking the walk and not just talking the talk and cancel culture. Like they, you, we're gonna make a statement and we're gonna do this thing. And then no, you're not, and you're not doing it. So you're therefore canceled. What are some trends and things that you're seeing um, or that you have seen work in your space? Yeah, I think some of the biggest shifts that I've seen now in 12 seasons in the league is um, it doesn't all have to be player driven. And so I think when you talk about a roster turning over so frequently and we're in the midst of free agency right now, um, for a lot of times uh, early in my career, it was, oh, this player's leading it so we can support it. And it gave right. this like Heisman arm's length of, well, that's not us, that's the player, but we're going to support our player. And so I think the biggest shift has been just the creativity around what you can do as a team that doesn't have to have player involvement or finding ways that you can have really genuine uh, connections, programs, or interactions that are including financial support. Because I think that's the number one most important thing for a lot of grassroots organizations is you need financial support, you need in-kind support, and you need awareness. And so I think there was this you know, shift and unfortunately, it had to come after George Floyd's murder, but there was this shift in um, how we do things and why we do things. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, that we've always done the work. And I think you do that behind the scenes because it's the right thing to do, but you have to use that platform and you have to use the brand to show others that it's the right thing to do and that they can join in. And so 
Um, I think the creativity is the trend here, and that's what makes me most excited and keeps me energized and really ready to go to work. And I don't want, I don't know how much time we have, but I have like a really unique like example. Yeah, that, sure. Yes, yeah, sure. that This would have never happened 12 years ago. I don't think that this would have ever come across the plate or the desk at this point. But um, last year, our player social justice committee identified gun violence awareness and prevention as one of the most important topics that they wanted to focus on. Um, we live in Colorado, um, which is a very prominent hunting state, a lot of guns, a lot of talk about guns. It is very much a political landmine around the state. And so being creative, how do we take this initiative that the players have said, we voted, we funded it, how do we take it and make it something tangible and really impactful without throwing out a couple PSAs here and there? Um, and so we actually partnered with a local organization who um, hosts gun buyback events to get guns off the streets. And so it's providing a safe and anonymous way for individuals to turn in a firearm. Um, they are compensated based on what they turn in. And it was a non-political, thoughtful, and different creative way to utilize our brand and our support at our stadium to do that. Um, and I was standing there, this was a two weeks ago, at this point um, at the stadium in the parking lot as a line of cars is coming through and they're unloading AK-47s and Uzis out of the back of these cars and we destroyed them on site. And so I carry that over to a saw and I physically saw that in half and I'm just sitting there like 12 years ago, this would have never happened. But because it had player buy-in and player interest, we funded it, we hosted it, and that kicked off now seven more gun buyback events throughout the rest of the year, which will help get guns off the streets. And so I'm, I'm not taking a stand. The team is not taking a stand. But if you have a firearm that's no longer wanted, here's a way to safely and anonymously get rid of it that will ultimately make our community a safer place. That is amazing. <laughs> and I want to highlight and make sure the people that are in the industry that listen to this, because we have like how many, how many downloads? Jake, like 10 billion, millions, millions, million, right? Exactly. 10 millions. Um, we're good billionaires. So you said something that was so, I think that it's so important for people to understand is it does not have to do the, the good you do does not have to be athlete player led. That is so important because I feel like that's essentially a cop-out for a lot of leagues and organizations, right? They say, you know what, we're not to your point. We're not making a statement. We're supporting our athlete who is making a statement. Like put your stake in the ground. I think there's a lot of um, positive in that. We can do a whole session on that girl. Um, but, uh, and maybe, maybe you all and belong can do a situation for gun buyback program where you sit down and play some games and you drop off some guns and you keep it moving. Love just it. drop it. Just saying, if it happens, I just need some tickets. That's it. There you go. But that like, those are the perfect types of partnerships that will continue to grow that. And I think that that not necessarily the gun buyback program, but different and unique relationships are going to make the difference because, you know, sometimes you try things and it doesn't work. You have to keep trying something different to figure out what's going to stick. So Bob, when you want to come back to Denver and you want to talk about <laughs> what that looks like, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, look me up. See? Well. See? You can ride your bike from Columbus to Denver yeah. and then for every mile they <laughs> donate a gun or something. I don't know. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. From, from the, the streets of court all the way 
to Denver and to Columbus. That is so awesome. Thank you both. It's now time for my favorite portion of the, the podcast and the session. Jake's least favorite. Um, because Just go back and listen. Just, just go back and listen to him. Rapid fire. So these are going to be easy questions. Um, first thing that comes to your head. I don't want thinking. None of that. Okay, we ready? All right. First thing's up. Uh, it is a typical let's not say Wednesday, Wednesday night in Athens, and you were leaving the bars and it is 2.30 a.m. You need food. What are you getting? Big Mama's. I'm going to order DP dough, but by the time it arrives, I might not be able to, I mean, I might not be able to get under the door to get it. Very true. Since both of you have and do live in Denver, best spot to go in Denver, whether it be Red Rocks, go where, wherever, what, what are you doing and where are you going? Oh, uh, I'd say the Denver brewery scene is top notch. And so Denver Beer Company is my like go-to. If anybody's coming into town, that's where we're going. I would say my favorite place to go to is it's called the Bikery at the Brewery. My friend owns a really small little bike shop um, right next to Breckenridge Brewing, and it is just free beer. You go in there, talk bikes, and drink beer, and uh, it's a great it's a great crew that they have there, and um, that's my favorite place in Denver. Beer's a theme in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Okay, here's a softball for you. Ready? Are we going chocolate or Neapolitan? Chocolate. Oh, chocolate for me. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> Point bank, please. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you both. Really appreciate it. I got one more. Oh, you got, I one? got one? More. Jake. Come on. Come on, Jake. Come on. Oh, this one's real quick. Quick and easy. I'm going to start. Okay. I'm going to start the timer on how long. Well, we have to finish this off with like some sort of gaming question. So, Bob. Uh, if you could play one game and only one game, what would it be? It would be Halo, the original Halo that came out in 2000, I think it was 2002, 2000, 2001, 2002. It's my favorite game. It's that got, it, it gave me some of the best memories of my life. Allie, what game? Mario Kart. Yes. We invested Love in it. N64 during COVID. So Mario Kart <laughs> has been our go-to. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Nobody said Wordle. I'm like, you know. That's okay. I, I, I can definitely do Mario Kart. That's that's a great one. Dropping bananas, dropping peels. I feel like every time I want to do that in real life. Okay, hold on, hold on. One, one, one last one. If you're gonna play Mario Kart though, what's your driver? Peach. Wario. Wario. See, I was a toad guy. I was like, I gotta go fast. Laura, what what driver? I do not own Mario Kart. Oh, geez. I, the last actual console video game I played was Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega. Bob, sounds like we need to get you and Laura connected. We'll, we'll make that work. I, look, I, I barely have enough time to, to make sure this dog stays alive. I, my, my day is, I don't, I can't, I don't, I can't. I will play phase 10. Or the little the little black triangle. I like you know. I need brain games that like you know <laughs> activate the other side that I don't use on a regular basis. Jake, don't okay. come for me. 
All good. Do you have do you have the um remember what was the the Nintendo that you had to like flip open the flap and blow in? That one. That that's, was the 64. That no, well, that and Nintendo, the original Nintendo. Just the original NES. Nintendo. You had the flap on the front, you opened it up and you had to blow in it and stick it back in. Yeah. Know. Duck hunt. Yeah, that duck hunt. Killing, there you go. <laughs> killing ducks from, from a very early age. See, gaming's a part of everybody. Bob, Ali, really, really appreciate your time talking community, kind of exploring uh, in, in the variety of worlds we all live in. Uh, Laura, great co-host as always. And look. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.